Hello, and welcome to the PC Speaking Podcast. Um, I want to start today by just saying I'm grateful for you. Um, it's a hard thing to explain that I consider you my friend, even though we may have never, may have never met in person. Um, I don't even know how you explain like something like that. I'm not really sure, but interesting world we're living in with technology. Um, well, yesterday was... Father's Day here in Australia, and so our talk today, Time Together, is geared towards that. And I want to ask you to consider a scenario today as we start. There are a lot of occupations that employ more men than women, in some cases far more men than women. And for the most part, um, that's just because they're not jobs that women are necessarily interested in, things like, you know, working with concrete, electricians, engineers, builders, gas, mining, uh, waste services. And I understand there are some women who do those jobs, of course, but the great majority of those positions tend to be filled by men um, just because of you know varied interest between men and women. But in regards to that, imagine if all of those men decide one day, I don't feel like doing this job anymore and they all stop doing their job maybe some walk off and leave to do something else maybe some just sit down and say things will be fine without me and if that happened how long do you think it would take society to notice what do you think just uh, what do you think would be noticed first um i'm not 100 percent sure how to answer that but i think one of the things people would definitely take notice of would be a lack of rubbish collection or trash collection depending on which continent you're on but imagine if the guys who drive those trucks that come around and collect the rubbish in front of everybody's home decided to stop doing their job. Um, we'd notice that. That's a, that's a very important job. It wouldn't take long uh, before a lot of things we take for granted would become a matter of public panic and crisis if the men who did those jobs just stopped doing them. Uh, eventually, electricity, water, Sewage, all of those things would fail. Roads would deteriorate, deliveries would stop, cars wouldn't run, petrol would run out. Um, things would become apocalyptic in a relatively short amount of time. We tend to take all those things for granted because they're just always there. You know, at my house, we take the bins out on Wednesday night and then they get picked up on Thursday. Then we wheel them back behind the house and fill them up ready for next week. It just happens. We don't really even give it that much thought. But the reality is, is it doesn't really just happen, does it? Somebody has to do that. Um, there are a great number of men who make all that happen day in and day out. And I know someone will say, you know, there's women in those industries too. And yes, that's very much true, but not enough usually to make it happen or to get the job done just because there's not enough of them. And society can't function without those men. And it would deteriorate very quickly without them. And now I want you to imagine, kind of in a similar vein, imagine all of the fathers and all of the families in your local community, city, wherever you may be, imagine they decide to stop being fathers. Some walk away, some disengage. Um, either way, they just stop. When men step away from the family, the same thing happens to the family that would happen to society if men stepped away from the role of making things work. 
And maybe you are someone whose father did that. Maybe your father stepped away, disengaged, whatever it may be. Maybe he left. Maybe he just wasn't present. And if that's the case, and if that's you, then you understand this better than most. And I want you to consider something about a good father or good fathers in general. Good fathers love their wives and children. They care for their families. They instruct their children. They discipline their children. They provide for you. But one thing they don't do is need you. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment. A good father is not someone who's needy. And my intention in saying that is not to upset anyone, but to shine a light on the motivation of a good father. What a good father does is not because he needs to do it, not because he has to do it, because he chooses to do it. He disciplines himself to do those things. And if you want to do something nice for your father, show some respect and gratitude. You know, men enjoy giving love, but prefer to receive respect and gratitude. And if you're a father, whatever that situation looks like, even if it's not good, you need to discipline yourself now and shoulder your responsibility because your family needs you and they will struggle without you. Um, Just like all those jobs we talked about, society would struggle if those men did not do their jobs. Matter of fact, it wouldn't just struggle, it would collapse. And Talking about fatherhood, it's not unusual for me to feel a twinge of hypocrisy talking about some of the things that we talk about. And I can look back and see many areas in my own life where I've fallen short as a father. And I'll always carry that with me. I mean, I love my kids to death. They're both adults now, but I mean, I wasn't the perfect father. But you do the best you can with what you have and what you know at the time, and then you learn to live with the decisions you've made. That's just kind of how it works. And as the saying goes, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So someone who's been there tends to have a reasonable idea of what they're talking about. And so it is with the discipline of fatherhood. Um, a good father understands that there's a lot of power and authority that is inherent to fatherhood. And of course, looking back now, I understand that better than I did back then. And some view power and authority as a negative thing. And people who hold that point of view may have experienced the abuse of power and authority and not the way it was intended to be used. Or maybe they've just been told that's what they're supposed to think. And so they do. And there's enough power and authority built into the role of a father that we need to be aware of that and we need to wield that authority carefully. Now, the family is the bedrock of any civilization. And if fathers step away from their role in the family, they also step away from their community. And I think in many ways, today life has become so easy, we forget that it's possible that that could change or that we can affect that. It's interesting when you look up some statistics on homes without fathers, and I encourage you to do that. Hop on Google and just look at statistics of families, homes without fathers. And I was, you know, Googling around, looking at a few different things on that. And without a father in the home, it's crazy the the likelihood and the increase of potential problems, like uh, the possibility 
of incarceration goes way up. Um, the, the potential for poverty goes way up. And one that I found really interesting was even obesity increases exponentially in homes without fathers. Suicides, runaways, teenage pregnancy, all of those things increase dramatically when there is no father present in a family. So it's imperative that men practice the discipline of fatherhood and work at being a good father. We must discipline ourselves to wield the authority of a father well. And it's not a responsibility to be taken lightly. And God gives us a very simple outline and a familiar verse on how to practice the discipline of fatherhood. And we'll get to that in a second, but have you ever been trying to learn how to do something on the internet, maybe watching a video or reading a blog, say you're trying to change the brake pads on your car, and you're pretty handy, so you know you can do it, and you just need to see the process. Like personally, I'm pretty handy. I can build lots of things and fix things and and do all that stuff. And sometimes I just need to find a blog or a video where somebody explains the process. But when you do that, uh, you come across a video or an article that's 15 times longer than it needs to be. Kind of like a food blogger. Have you ever read a food blogger? And, you know, you say you Google how to, how to cook a chicken, you find a, a blog on it, and it starts out with this big, long story. When I was a small child on a rural farm, and my grandmother would take her prized chickens to the show every year, and it just prattles on and on and on. And you're thinking, I just want to know how to cook a chicken. You know, I'm not stupid. Give me the bullet points. I can figure the rest out. Well, that's what the Bible does in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, for the disciplines of fatherhood. It gives us the bullet points for the discipline of fatherhood. Some simple do's and do nots. And it says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the first bullet point is do not provoke your children to anger. That means don't irritate your kids to the point that they resent you. And I think there are two main ways to irritate a child into resentment. One is by overusing or abusing your power and authority as a father. And the other is by not using it at all. And all kids are different. Each one requires a different approach. But there are some general practices of a disciplined father in raising children that are, that are similar for everyone. And one of the ways... You can irritate your children into resentment is by being overly critical. As a disciplined father, it, you know whether your kids are three or thirty, don't be overly critical. If you're overcritical, overly critical with a younger kid, that it's probably going to result in them being self-conscious. It's going to result in anxiety, and what's going to happen is later that's going to grow into anger and resentment. And it's easy when we talk about something like being overly critical, it's easy to recognize that in someone else. It's easy to recognize someone else's problems. It's easy to recognize uh, another dad who's being overly critical of his kid, but it's more difficult to see it in ourselves. And, you know, telling a kid they're always too slow or too scared or too dumb or they're chicken or they never hear that they've done a good job. That might not seem like much to an overly critical father. He might even think he's doing his kid a favor by toughening him up so he can deal with the real world. 
But the reality is, is he's just being an overly critical jerk who is going to, uh, whose kids are going to grow up to resent him. And the inherent power and authority of fatherhood combined with being overly critical has the potential to do a lot of damage. And sometimes men will say something like, well, that's just how my father treated me. Or when I was young, that's how people parented. Or when I was a kid, it was like this. And if that's the case, then it's up to you to change that. God says, don't provoke your children to anger. And the reason for that is, is because it can do a lot of damage and the damage done can last a lifetime, maybe generations. And I, I worked uh, with young people at one point. I was a youth pastor for a while, youth director, coordinator, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's an interesting place to be. And someone who's a teacher would probably understand, but one of the more challenging aspects of working with young people can be the parents, in particular, parents who overdo it with their kids. They're overly protective or overly strict, especially fathers. They're the ones who tend to be that way. And, you know, my own kids would probably think I was too strict. And there were times that I probably was, but the church where I worked was a pretty conservative church. And my daughter, sometimes I think she just liked to do things to see how people would react or, uh, you know, just, yeah, just to provoke them and see what would happen. And one time she wanted to dye a strip of her hair and it was, it was bright red and, and she did, which was, you know, that was kind of fun, but it raised a few eyebrows and I, you know, from different things she's done over the years, I received calls from parents saying, well, my kid's coming to me and saying, well, the youth pastor's kid gets to do it. Why can't I? Um, which is always a bit of a challenge to deal with. And there was another time she wanted to get her nose pierced and she worked out a deal with her mom that uh, she would get a little stud and glue it to her nose and see how it went for a while. And if that worked out, they'd you know, figure it out from there. But it did look very much pierced and she definitely got the reaction she was going for. So in my defense, I don't think I was overly strict, but my kids might say otherwise. But being overly strict is sometimes a result of it's sometimes a result of being afraid of what other people think. And you really can't worry too much. You know, it can be a consideration, but you can't worry too much about what other people think. And that's, that's a big danger in Christian culture. And I've seen that happen. There's always that well-meaning saint who feels that they need to wander around and, and correct everyone else. And I'm, I'm sure we've all seen that at some point, but as a father, you lead in working out standards and boundaries in your family with your family. And then once you've established those, if, if someone else doesn't like it, well, that's too bad for them. Christian fathers, though, they need to be especially careful because they generally have a good framework of biblically of biblical morality to work from. And we need to handle that well. And obviously, the problem isn't the biblical framework. That's good. The problem is what an overly strict father adds to it. That's legalism. And there's a dark reality lurking in the home of an overly strict Christian father. And legalism uh, is an abuse of a father's authority. And it can do a lot of damage. I've known people who have grown up with an overly strict religious father in a legalistic religious environment. And some of them have grown up and done okay and recognized that for what it is and moved on. But others have not. They've completely rejected God and church and anything to do with it. And if you want your children to grow up and serve God, one of the quickest ways 
to destroy that or ruin that is by being overly strict and legalistic as a father. R. Kent Hughes, the guy who wrote the book, um, The Disciplines of a Godly Man that I've drawn a lot from through this series, illustrated it like holding onto a bar of soap. If you hold too loosely, it'll slide away. But if you hold it too firmly, it will shoot from your hand. And there, you know, there's obviously things that a good father says no to. But there are also a lot of things he can say yes to. My wife, she always had the philosophy that if there's not a good reason to say no, then don't. And that seemed to work out pretty well. But those are some do-nots of a disciplined father. But a verse also gives us some things to do, some actions to take. And it says, do bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So bring them up. And the first do in that is be gentle and kind. Do be gentle and kind. The way to make sure you handle the authority God has given you as a father well is to be gentle and kind. Use your authority for their benefit. Use it to nurture them up to maturity. And that requires an environment where they see you being gentle and kind. And one of the best ways for them to see that is your relationship with their mom. And it's good to show your wife affection in front of your kids. Uh, The love and security of your marriage is the love and security of your family. And I don't think it's an uncommon mistake for people to think that the most important thing in their marriage is their kids. And your kids are not the most important thing in your marriage. Your marriage is the most important thing in your marriage. And if your wife feels loved and secure and safe, your kids will perceive that. And that will translate well to them. A disciplined father is gentle and kind in his words and in his actions, and the whole family sees it. Now, to nurture up your kids to maturity also involves discipline. As a father, do discipline. That means helping your kids develop their mind and their morals. And sometimes that does involve punishment. As a father, that's part of your job. Um, The marriage covenant between a man and a woman is in many ways a picture of God himself. And in that marriage covenant, you teach your kids about God through the marriage covenant. And mom usually leans towards the love and grace side of things. And dad usually leans towards the judgment and discipline side of things. Whereas God is whole and complete and perfect in those things. You know, it takes a man and a woman to bring that balance between the two. And I think it can be helpful to remember that kids are mostly a blank slate and they know nothing about everything. And the Bible says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And a disciplined father doesn't leave it up to someone else to do that for him. He doesn't leave it up to the school to raise his kids. He doesn't leave it up to their mother to raise his kids. He also doesn't leave it up to the kids to raise themselves, to figure things out on their own either. It seems like some parents, they do that. They leave it up to their kids to figure things out for themselves. And teaching the gospel, raising them as Christians is a good thing, but sometimes it's it's almost seen as an imposition on their freedom or something. I don't really understand it. But 
it's seen sometimes as teaching them something that has been traditional in the past, but seems kind of irrelevant now. And, and, you know, we've moved beyond it. It doesn't really matter. Whatever the mindset is there, I don't really understand it. But some traditions, not all, but some became traditions because they answered questions and solved problems. And that's one of the reasons Christianity has had such a profound influence on Western culture. It answers a lot of questions. It solves a lot of problems. And in Western culture, the foundation of our culture is biblical principles. And the problem with traditions is that over time, we, t- we tend to forget the questions they answered and the problems they solved. And because we forget those things, they can seem irrelevant. But if we lose the tradition, the questions and the problems return. And the solution to keeping those, you know, those questions answered and those problems at bay is a father following the instruction given in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Nurture, discipline, and instruction, including teaching children to think and engage their mind and to understand why we practice and believe the things we do and helping them understand that. Because it only takes one generation of not understanding why for things to stop making sense. And what is a little kid's favorite question? Why? 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 They can drive you up the wall with that question. But as a father, you should patiently answer that question. Now, obviously, the answer to the why is going to vary with age, but it's important to answer why we do what we do. Because if you don't answer the whys or you can't answer the whys, then the young person who is asking why has no reason to believe what you tell them if you can't answer why. And if you leave it to your kids to figure things out for themselves, what you're really saying is, I don't have anything useful for you, and I have nothing good to pass on to you. I've learned nothing. Part of instruction is answering why the discipline and instruction matters. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, uh, verses 11 through 13, talk about the priest Eli and his sons. And Eli failed to discipline and instruct his sons. Listen to what it says. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am doing something in Israel, which will make both ears ring of everyone that hears it. In that day, I will bring about against Eli everything which I have spoken with regard to his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the guilt which he knew because his sons are cursed and he did not rebuke them. And you can go back and read more about Eli and his sons in the previous chapter, but Eli let his sons down. He failed to discipline and instruct them. He failed to rebuke them. He didn't bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And at that point, it was too late for Eli. But and if your kids are older, I don't, I don't want to discourage you. But the fact is, kids become less malleable as they grow. And if you don't establish discipline and instruction when they are young and pliable, it may not be possible to do it later. It's kind of like concrete. You know, the longer it sits there, the harder it's going to get. Now, one of the most important dues, one of the most important ways you can instruct as a father is 
to be an example. So do be an example. Uh, a while ago, we talked about how Paul gave Timothy instruction that his life should serve as an example of the things he was teaching. And as a pastor, I try to do that um, as best I can. And, and people might recognize that. They might not. I, they may follow it. They may not. Sometimes they do, no doubt, but other times they don't. But as a father, the example you set, your children will follow it. They will mimic you, whatever example you set. The example you set will determine how they view things like Bible reading, how they view things like prayer, how you treat their mother will set the example of how they believe women should be treated. How you view church, uh, how you attend church will set the example of how they will view and attend church. My wife and I were talking about this the other day, and I've seen this to be consistently true. Mom can take the kids to church, but if dad doesn't attend church, as soon as the kids are old enough, they won't either. And I've seen that to be consistently true, which is unfortunate. And I know that's really hard on mom when that happens, but that's just the reality. If mom can take kids to church, but if dad doesn't come along, if dad doesn't lead out in that, as soon as the kids are old enough, they're not going to come either. If something is not meaningful and important enough for you to give it your time, it won't be important or meaningful to your kids either. You know, verbal instruction is good, but they will learn at least as much, probably more, just by watching what you do. And if you're a father, what do your kids see you do? You know, and that's not a guilt trip. That's reality. You know, that's not trying to make you feel bad. That's something for self-reflection. It's something to think about. What are my kids seeing me do day in, day out? What kind of example do I set? Maybe I need to change the way I think about some things. Maybe I need to do some things differently. Um, I've had the privilege over the years of performing quite a few weddings. And I've continued to follow some of those couples on social media, you know, over the years. And one thing I often tell couples when they get married is to take your time on your wedding day and enjoy it. You know, consciously make the effort to take a look around, take your time, uh, you know, tell the bride, walk down the aisle slowly. Because even though you spent all of this time and money and effort planning your wedding, it will be over in the blink of an eye. And if you don't decide to take it in and look around, you're going to wonder where it went. It's going to slip by so quickly. And many of those couples I've performed wedding for, now they have kids that are in school and growing up quickly. And I would say to the parents, especially, especially you, dad, the same thing about your children. Take the time and look around. Be fully present. It's going to be over before you know it. And we've all heard there's no time like the present, but as a father, there's no time but the present. There's no time but the present to be present. The only time you have to nurture your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is now. It's always now, not tomorrow, not next week. Yesterday's gone. Do it now. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them that God loves them. Teach them that they need a Savior because they're sinful. 
Teach them why Jesus died on the cross. Teach them how to live a life for Jesus. Teach them how to follow Jesus. And just as important, set the example of being a follower of Jesus because it really is up to you to do that. It's up to you to do that, to lead out in that, to set that example. And, you know, your your church is there to help you with that. But the reality is, is that it's your responsibility and it's, it's going to be turned over to you. You know, I'm, I'm turning this over to you. It's up to you, dad. You've got to take it from here. And I certainly encourage you to do that. And I'll be praying for you as you do that. I know it's, it's uh, no small task, but there's also a lot of joy involved in that when you, you know, lean into it and do the best you can with it. And I want to encourage you to do that. And yeah, I hope you will. And if you found this helpful, that's awesome. That's really what I'm trying to do. And if you know someone who you think might benefit, share it with them. And I will look forward to speaking to you again soon. Have a good one.